morning, Susie. I, I, can't, I can't believe I've interrupted a morning run. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, yeah, trying to trying to stay fit uh, post post lockdown. So uh, just a yeah, just a quick half an hour stint this morning. <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's what it's like where where you are. It's um, lovely sunshine, blue sky, but it's freezing. It is pretty cold. Yeah, yeah. I think the the good weather is supposed to kick in next week, which is obviously when I'm back at work. So uh, <laughs> there we go. <laughs> oh, there you go. Uh, well, I had the real pleasure of seeing your presentation at the British Council Ambassadors Conference last week. And, and you know, I've met you before, but for anybody who doesn't know you, could you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your role and, and the projects that you do? Sure. Well, I am first and foremost a languages teacher. So I trained to teach French and German back in 1999. And I've um, loved doing that ever since. Um, I've had a couple of brief stints of teacher training. So I worked for five years as a teacher trainer on the PGC Modern Languages Programme at York University uh, between 2010 and 2015. Um, And then decided that actually my happiest place was in the classroom. So I returned to the classroom, um, doing a little bit of primary, a little bit of secondary. And now actually I've got the best of both worlds. So I'm um, I'm part-time in school and then I work as a visiting lecturer on the PGC Modern Languages Programme at Leeds Trinity University. So a bit of teaching, a bit of training, and a, a real interest in, in sort of health and well-being in schools as well. Yeah, and how about the British Council as well? Are you involved with the British Council directly? Yeah, as I've been involved with eTwinning uh, predominantly for, I would say, let's see, where are we now, about 10 years. So I, I met... Um, I met one of the uh, British Council crew at a conference in Southampton, yeah, about 10 years ago. Uh, we shared a taxi back to the station and talked about my work in teacher education. And there was a conference in Denmark um, trying to connect teacher educators to encourage their training teachers to connect with each other across Europe. And so that was my first sort of taste of e-twinning. And then obviously when I went back into the classroom, I engaged in e-twinning projects and sort of international collaboration myself. So partnerships with France predominantly. Um, and then I've had partners in Guadeloupe, Martinique. And more recently, I've just got a grant for a Connecting Classrooms virtual um, exchange with a school in Rwanda, which is super exciting. That is exciting. Well, I mean, and always so busy. Well, you did an activity and, and you spoke about a project activity with us at the conference on Saturday. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah. Um, well, part of my work within languages has been over the last couple of years to focus on the sustainable development goals. Um, and goal number three, as some of your listeners might know, is is around good health and well-being. And so um, I myself in, in my career, again, probably going back about sort of eight, nine years, had a period of, um, I don't know how to explain it really, just anxiety, work-related stress um, that meant that I took a bit of time out of, of, of my job. Um, and ever since then, I've, I've kind of treated it a bit like a, a sort of self-MOT, so a bit, a bit like you would look after your car. You wouldn't wait for it to break down before you do something about, you know, the odd, um, the odd funny noise or, or creak here and there. So I, th- I think what I've tried to do is, find different ways of managing my own stresses and then obviously I've I've thought about that in a classroom setting and I've thought about how as a teacher I think it's really hard to be your best self if you're feeling anxious or burnt out um, and equally as a student you know how can you focus on your learning if if your mental health is suffering so I, I guess I see it as a bit of a blessing in disguise because what it's helped me to do is 
uh, focus on my own health and well-being and then in turn I think that's really benefited my students and um, back in September of last year so when we were in I think we'd just come out of the 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 summer lockdown um, I connected with a lovely lady called Sarah Kay who is a, a laughter yoga teacher um, and I decided to embark on a course with her um, to learn about how to deliver laughter yoga obviously at the moment online uh, but hopefully eventually face to face and it was just absolutely brilliant something that I practice myself now every day um, and I just had this real desire to kind of spread that that laughter and happiness uh, because I think certainly in, in COVID times you know sometimes it can feel like there's not a great deal to feel happy or, or, or want to laugh about so um, so yeah that's kind of where, where it all stemmed from really. And what kind of response have you got when you've when you've shared that? I think initially people are a little bit nervous. They're not quite sure what it is. So I think um, you know, explaining that it's it's a combination of deep breathing exercises with just sort of fun and silly activities. So I think I think there needs to be a sense of um, you know not taking yourself too seriously. So so yeah, initially sometimes people can feel a little bit self conscious, um, but I think we all know that laughter is quite contagious. And so um, the science behind it basically says that um, the benefits that we get from pretending to laugh and laughing for real, uh, physiologically and psychologically, are very similar. So when I learned a bit more about it, it, it blew my mind, really, because, you know, you don't necessarily need to rely on other people or jokes or a good sense of humour or comedy to actually be able to laugh. You can laugh out loud for no reason. Um, so what I did at the conference was just share a, a, a little bit of the the history of laughter yoga, um, which has been around since the the mid nineties, um, and has spread literally like wildfire across across the world. Um, you know, thousands of laughter clubs in in over a hundred countries, which is amazing. And wow. so I think I, I I set out to sort of um, you know spread that amongst friends and hopefully colleagues and the children that I work with. And then um, the lovely John Rolfe MBE invited me uh, to do my first sort of laughter yoga debut at the conference, which I was absolutely thrilled to bits about, if not slightly nervous. Uh, but you know what? The delegates were amazing and, you know, really embraced it. And and I think the fact that everyone had their cameras on and their uh, their, their microphones on just made it even better because it is something that's really good to share. And I think when you hear someone else laugh, you know, even if you're not really feeling it, there is a sense of wanting to laugh along, and I think I think we definitely captured that at the conference, which which was great. So I I was sort of floating on air afterwards because I think partly a sense of relief, but also you know that that it it, it really helped to lift people's spirits in like in what I say is has been quite a you know quite a challenging uh, twelve months or so. It it really did. I thought I thought you were amazing, Susie, and uh, Thank you. And, and, and I thought just the reaction and response from from the delegates at the conference as well was was brilliant. And you've gone on to do some staff training with that even since then, haven't you? Yeah. So um, I don't even know where we are in the week now. Um, this week, I was invited by um, the head of the Heritage School in Moldova, so a fellow British Council. Ambassador Rob um, invited me to do some staff training via uh, Google with his staff. So they're about to go into another lockdown. I think it's quite a challenging time in Moldova at, at the moment. And so, yeah, I just did a very short 10 minute session with um, with his staff. And I've had a lovely email, well, a couple of lovely emails since showing that his staff have gone on to try and share some of that with the children. And I've had some lovely photographs of the children, um, you know, in, in various sort of laughter positions and, ju- and just lo- looking like they're having a great time. And like I said earlier, I think, um, you know, it's been challenging for staff trying to juggle 
you know, synchronous and asynchronous teaching and keeping their own sort of morale high. But I think, you know, as, as educators, we're always thinking about the students as well. So I think the fact that the the staff at, at the school in Moldova are, are then thinking, OK, how can I then pass this on to the students is, is fantastic. So I've actually changed my Facebook page this week from Laughter Yoga with Susie to International Laughter Yoga with Susie, because what I said to Rob was, um, you know, kind of go big or go home. So I think my my vision now is to try and spread it across other schools. So I think the British Council's network is a is a fantastic way of doing that. And I'm I'm already connected up to a number of colleagues in Uganda, um, again through sort of connections with the British Council and Twitter. So so yeah, I started started out with the British Council conference, then Moldova, hopefully very soon Uganda, which apparently doesn't have any laughter clubs at all. So that will be a real first for the country. And then if I can get other any other schools involved, um you know, in the UK or beyond, then that would be fantastic. Just trying to spread the laughter as far as we can. That's wonderful. Now, you've partly answered the next question, which was I, was I was going to say, how is your work connected to global learning and internationalism? Well, definitely Sustainable Development Goal 3, the good health and well-being. Um, like I said, I, I did some work a couple of years ago now, well, started a couple of years ago now, with Leeds um, Development Education Centre. We We had a project where I was the main author for some resources in French, uh, that were written about the sustainable development goals. So essentially, we were trying to encourage language teachers like myself to engage with the sustainable development goals um, in their languages lessons. So trying to connect it with a, with the existing curriculum. And so those materials are now live on the Leeds um, Development Education Centre website for free. That was a, a European funded project. And we, we actually went on to translate those into Spanish and German, which, which is great because it obviously reaches out to a, a wider audience. But I think... Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting that it's a shared goal. So the the school that I'm connecting with in um, in Rwanda, for example, um, we're we're both really interested in not only good health and well being, but um, the shared goal of quality education, um, the shared goal of equality between the sexes. How we can look at how you know females and males are treated differently, what's expected of them, what we're you know, stereotypically what we can and can't do or, or aspire to be and do. So it's it's been really interesting sort of integrating the the sort of international partnerships with the sustainable Deve- development goals and also being able to do that in uh in French. So uh yeah, combining lots of my favorite things all in all in one place. Wow. And so creative. Um why why do you think now I mean it's maybe it's it's an obvious question, but why do you think it's so important now? I think certainly in recent years, I would say probably the last three or four years, I think people are talking a lot more openly and overtly about mental health. Um, I know certainly from my own, um, you know, kind of burnout, if you like, I was quite reluctant to speak about it openly, apart from friends and and close colleagues a number of years ago, because there was and probably still is to an extent a bit of a stigma. But I think actually it's quite refreshing to see you know, more and more people talking openly about it and, and actually looking for, um, you know, positive solutions. So I think there are lots of routes that people go down to help them with their mental health. Some people need, um, you know, medical help, medication, which is which is is great for some people. Other people like myself, um, I, I had um, cognitive behavioural therapy, so trying to help myself to think differently about some of my problems, some of which were real, some of which were just made up in my own in my own mind. Um, and and then you know things like mindfulness and then other things which are more joyful like the laughter yoga whereby 
it's my choice to do this for sort of 10, 15 minutes daily because actually I find that it's a really uplifting way to start my day. And if I can share that with other people and help them to sort of better manage their emotions and their feelings um, and their mental health, then, um, then, you know, like I said earlier, it's sort of turning what was a, a really dark kind of period in, in my life into something positive and, and, and uh, you know, and helping other people, which is, which is always really nice, isn't it? That's, that's, you know, such a perfect metaphor for, for emerging from the pandemic and trying to, you know, ha- I suppose learn lessons and change a situation from one which was so challenging for for, for so many yeah. in, in so many different ways uh, and then and then use it as a, as a platform for growth, connectedness and a focus on things that matter, you know, mental health, the sustainable development goals, the uh, the sense of collaboration. I think these are these are all wonderful things. Yeah. And I think that's that's what's kept me going through the pandemic as well is actually keeping yeah. connected with my fellow global educators because you know I think everyone felt a little bit down in the dumps come the first of January and not quite knowing what that meant and whether you know it would be quite as easy to to connect with our international counterparts. But I think you know where there's creativity and there's a desire to to have those connections. You know there's always going to be ways and means of doing it, and I think. Um, many people in the last few months have proven that you know it ha- it's not going to be as easy now that certain um, you know platforms have been taken away from us and so on. But I think we've all got um, you know other networks that we can tap into, and um, we all you know within the British Council network, we all know lots of, of fellow educators in different parts of the world. So I think I think that the sharing and the collaborating and the creativity, like you say, won't end it might be a little bit more difficult and it might be harder to get new people, um, you know, started. But I think, um, you know, we're, we're a resilient um, kind of creative bunch. So I think we'll always find ways of doing it. With, with so many inspirational projects to share. So, so what's next for you then? So what, um, what's next and how do people get in touch if they want to find out more? Um, well, if they want to find out more about the laughter yoga, if you go into Facebook and search International Laughter Yoga with Susie, um, or just look me up, Susie Buell, um, then I am more than happy to uh, connect and share more about where I do my daily yoga um, and just answer any questions, essentially. Um, my languages uh, website, so um, if if you want to find out any more about the sustainable development goals work um you can find me at polyglotlanguages.co.uk and that's um poly as in the parrot and then glot g-l-o-t languages.co.uk um but yeah i I think really my my focus going forward is is going to be trying to build a strong partnership with the school in rwanda and then i'd really like to um encourage my school and department to apply for the new um touring scheme um and hopefully um have a group of students who maybe otherwise wouldn't get to to go abroad or or visit their international partners uh maybe try and get a trip out to rwanda in in the next 12 to 18 months that would be that would be amazing oh well can you tell us more about the the touring scheme do you know much about it uh well now that we've left europe we we're no longer eligible as uk citizens to participate in erasmus plus so in as as a kind of alternative but by no means an equivalent alternative um we've got the touring scheme um which is being backed by the british council so essentially um the first window for applications is currently open i think we've got about another 5 weeks to apply in the first round 
And that really is just a, a, the government's way of supporting um, teachers and university educators to um, support their students to, to engage in international travel. So essentially, the, the, the projects need to focus around visiting schools and university education um, establishments. And there's funding for groups of students. I think it's predominantly aimed at more disadvantaged students, students who otherwise perhaps wouldn't get the opportunity to to travel abroad or, or engage in international partnerships. So there's got to be a real clear focus, um, you know, obviously a, a plan and, and the funding that is given, um, should you be successful, will allow the teachers and students to go and travel to their partner school um, I think anything from four days up to a period of, of a couple of months, actually, certainly for older students. It's definitely something worth looking into if you are hoping to take a group of students abroad and if you've already got a partnership that you'd like to see flourish and develop further. Gosh, well, what a great opportunity. And I imagine uh, in in the context of global travel right now, it could, it could feel like it's a, a far stretch and and. and um, and something that's almost beyond the horizon, but it will come quickly, I imagine. That I think so, and I, th- I think my understanding is that you apply, and if you're successful, and obviously the the travel restrictions will need to be lifted. That you know that there is probably a time frame in mind, maybe that you try and travel within the next twelve months. But I think my understanding is that if that isn't possible, then the funding that you've applied for is ring fenced, and then obviously you and your students will travel when it's safe and appropriate to do so so yeah it's it's hard to know isn't it when we're going to be able to to travel again I think for um you know international educators like ourselves I've had a terrible sense of wanderlust these last 12 months um so it will be amazing when we can travel again but um you know not not just for me personally but also for the benefit of of the students that I teach just to really bring the world into their their actual classroom because we can do that in loads and loads of ways in in our teaching and through the wonders of the internet but I think there's nothing quite like physically meeting you know your your international partner counterparts uh you know I remember my sixth form French exchange like it was yesterday and I'm still really good friends with with uh you know with my partner and and have brilliant memories of, of that time so I think um I'd, I'd love for my own students to to have that as well Absolutely. Creating those kinds of memories and experiences that last a lifetime and, and it's taking education just to, to in the widest sense um, and, and really allowing us to draw on those experiences to, to use us, I suppose, a source of positive strength. Um, it's helpful for well-being. It's just it's just a good thing to do, and, and education should be. It really that, is, and it? I think for anyone who's starting out on their international sort of you know, journey. I, I would say, you know, sometimes I think there, there's a reluctance because we are busy as educators. There's so sometimes not enough hours in the day, but I think it's not seeing this sort of thing as an as an as an add-on. It's seeing it as an integral part of what you do. So it does take time and energy. Of course, it does. And I've spent quite a bit of time this holiday, you know, being in touch with my partner school in Rwanda, talking to the guys in Uganda who are interested in the laughter yoga. But actually, when I think about the benefits for not just for the schools and the teachers, but for the students, then, you know, it's it's worth every, every minute that I spend on it because, it's, you know, you, you, you can't put a price on those relationships and those connections. Definitely. Susie, it's been a pleasure. Um, thank you for giving up some time during the Easter break. Um, and. Well. 
and, and also welcome to the the pussycat what was the pussycat's name <laughs> so that's tilly in the background yeah if you if you can hear my cat Aww. in the background she's feeling a bit sorry for herself she's been a bit poorly the last few days Aww. so she's been coming over trying to join in she normally climbs on top of the laptop um <laughs> keyboard to try and keep warm so uh yeah she, she just wants to make herself heard this morning i think <laughs> there you go true true collaboration so it's easy thank you i hope you enjoy the rest of the break um thank you and you too you thanks know, so much for the invitation carl oh it's inspirational work that you're doing you know all the projects that you're involved with i think it's uh, you know great, great lessons for for us all thank you and if, if anyone is interested in in learning more then please do get in touch it's always it's always great to connect with other educators